Well, good morning, Christ Chapel. Great to see you. Great to worship with you. Hello to all of you joining us at the West Campus, South Campus, Converge, Hive, uh, anywhere you're streaming from. So glad that you've chosen to join us uh, on this Father's Day weekend. Hard to believe we are at or, or approaching the end of June. Uh, it's crazy how time is, is flying and summer is quickly uh, going. But I wanted to let you know, coming up on July, uh, we're going to be trying some things in our worship services. Uh, don't freak out. Uh, I know people are adverse to change. Uh, but just let you know, you'll hear more about that. But try July. We've got some things that are coming up that I'm pretty excited about to try uh, that month. But happy Father's Day to all of you in the pastor's desk. Dads, I told you that we will not embarrass you. I promise you that. Uh, we will study God's word. We'll try to make you laugh a little bit. And we've got bacon. And uh, we'll only at the Fort Worth campus. Uh, no, just kidding. We got it at all the campuses. Uh, if you're streaming somewhere, sorry, you're missing out. Maybe there's some leftovers for you next week, but they might taste weird. But uh, hopefully you enjoy uh, this time. But uh, in order to make you laugh, I'll just tell you something that made me laugh uh, this week. I, there's this new kind of, I guess it's called a, a meme or something that's come out where people have been posting pictures about how they look like their dogs. Have you, have you seen these things where dogs and their owners look alike? And it's been pretty funny to see some of the pictures. I'll give you some examples here. And so this is the, the, the shaggy guy. And you go, yeah, yeah, that, that definitely is. Or there's, there's another one here. Um, the, you can, you can see, I think the turtleneck definitely enhances uh, that, that look, but they definitely look like. Uh, then you got another one here. <laughs> definitely, you know, kind of the supermodel uh, owner and, and dog there. This is my favorite one, this, this last one. Um, I, I, <laughs> probably a bit biased there, you know, a man of the cloth. Um, but um, I actually read a study on this. Uh, it was actually a, a Japanese psychologist who has studied why do people look like their dogs. One theory is that people choose dogs that look like them. And specifically, it's in the eyes, if you're interested. Uh, that's one theory. Or the second theory is the exposure theory, which is the more that we're around our dogs, the more we begin to look like them and they begin to look like us. We, we rub off on each other. Now, I certainly think the more uh, valid theory is the former rather than the, the latter, that we begin to look like our animals. But my, my point is, is that when we spend time around people or, or animals, uh, it sounds like we begin to look like them. But people definitely so. Those folks that we spend time around, we begin to look most like. And if you don't believe that, um, you, then you don't have a teenager or you don't remember your teenage years. Think about our teenagers. They find a new group of friends or a new BFF and they begin to look like them. They begin to talk like them. They begin to act like them. Our, our boys aren't teenagers yet and we can still see that. In them, they get a new friend and they start wearing their hat differently. They want a particular type of shirt. They start saying things and we're like, where did you hear that? And you know, it's this new friend that they have. Those that we spend the most time around, we begin to look like, we begin to act like, talk like, behave like. Therefore, 
we better be careful who we tie ourselves to. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you will, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. We're going to be at the very end of Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 to 50. And a copy of your sermon notes will be helpful. Uh, today we are actually finishing our series called Standing Up. And uh, it's been a wonderful series. The guys that have, have preached on this have done a fantastic job. Um, sad that it's kind of coming to an end, this series, but I just want to uh, tell you how this particular passage bookends a, a very distinct section in the Gospel of Matthew, because as we finish this series, we'll continue to march on in the Gospel of Matthew. Remember, we studied the Sermon on the Mount, which was Matthew chapter five through seven. And at the very end of chapter 7, if you remember how the Sermon on the Mount ends, it says that the crowds were amazed. Why? Because he was one who taught with authority. He had a different authority that he taught with. And then in Matthew chapter 8 and 9, he begins to demonstrate his authority. And he begins to demonstrate his authority over death, disease, nature, etc., and then, and that's the kind of the question that, that Matthew is bringing up and soliciting there is, will you obey his authority? He has authority as a new king. That's why he established the Sermon on the Mount, his new kingdom. Will you obey his authority? Then at the end of chapter 9, as we started this series, he delegates his authority. And he delegates it to his disciples as he sends them out. And he sends them out amongst the crowds because he has compassion, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Do you remember this? Okay, yes or no? Okay, good. I'll, I'll go faster then. I'm like, do I need to, how much do I need to review here? Okay, so you're, you're following me. Good. So he sends them out to the sheep, but he sends them out as sheep amidst Wolves, good, thank you. Yep, and, he, and so we know then that there's going to be opposition because sheep and wolves don't necessarily get along very well. Well, at least from a sheep's perspective, they don't. And so uh, he sends them out and we know that there's opposition. And so what we've been talking about as we've been talking about the standing up series is how we should expect opposition when we stand up for Jesus. Yet we can endure that opposition because we know that he is standing with us. He is standing for us. And one of the things that we've highlighted in this series is how one day there will be vindication. And one day there will be validation of you standing up for him. Remember, he actually says that. Those who, we studied this in chapter 10. Those who acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge before my father in heaven. We've talked about that vindication validation, you know, but the way that we've talked about it has been in heaven one day. But today we get to study a passage where Jesus stands up in the present for those who stand up for him. That validation, that vindication comes in the present. And that's what we get to see today. So what I want to do is I just want to read the passage as a whole so you get uh, the context for where we are as this book ends a section of Matthew. Because remember, we've talked about this authority. And if we align with his authority, then we can stand up to that opposition. Now he aligns with those who align with him. So beginning in verse 46, it says, While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, 
Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. May God bless the reading of his word. So just to give you some, some context to, to what is happening here, you can get the scene or you can at least imagine it. Jesus is in a house. We know that from chapter 13, verse 1, because it says as he leaves the house. So when it says his mother and his brothers are standing outside, they're standing outside of a house, a house in Capernaum, actually. And we just got back from uh, Israel with the church. And those of you who went and you've or you've been to Capernaum, this could have been Peter's house that we visit on that Israel trip. If you haven't been to Israel, you need to go to Israel. Change the way you read scripture, just like now. Okay, so it could have been Peter's house there in Capernaum, but the houses that are there, they were not like modern day houses. There would have been, especially in Capernaum, they would have been nowhere near 2,000 square feet, 1,800 square feet, 3,000 square feet, however big your house is. They're, they're not that big. And so Jesus has some disciples that are around him. And you can imagine by the things that he just demonstrated his authority over, how the crowd is pressing in on this house. This house is surrounded by people. And then it says that his mothers and his brothers come to speak to him. And Jesus, in this very passage realigns this definition of what a family tie should be and what kind of attention we give to those particular family ties. And so there's three very important things that he talks about here as far as those family ties. So what I want to do is I want to tell you what those are. We're going to dissect the passage, and I'll give you an application point. And then, dads, I want to talk to you uh, at the end. So let's start walking through it and walk through it uh, quickly. So first, Jesus acknowledged that biological family ties require proper attention. Jesus acknowledged that biological family ties require proper attention. Jesus' mother, it says his mother and brothers come to him. But in verse 46, I want you to notice what he says. It says, while he was still speaking, and that will be crucial here in just a moment. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside. They're not on the inside. Now, they're not on the inside of this house. They're on the outside asking to speak to him. Now, some things that I just think are, are worth noting is first, we don't have any uh, record throughout the Gospels of Jesus himself personally acknowledging that Joseph was his father. And the reason why is not just because Joseph may be dead by this time, which is why maybe Joseph hasn't shown up, but because I think Jesus always acknowledged that his heavenly father was his father. And that was the only one that he related to as his father. So that's just something I think you should note here because I think that attributes to uh, the virgin birth conceived by the Holy Spirit. Second, when it talks about his mother and his brothers, I think these were his biological brothers. G uh, Mary was not a perpetual virgin. 
Okay, she was a virgin certainly when Jesus was born, but that wasn't, he was the firstborn for Mary, but that wasn't perpetual for her that I know is uh, propagated in some uh, traditions. But he has brothers. In fact, we know from chapter 13 that he had four brothers, and we don't know how many sisters, but he has sisters too. And so all of these people come to Capernaum. Now, where did they come from? Where was Jesus from? Nazareth. So they come from Nazareth, which is, if, depending on how, which route they took, could be 30 to 40 miles away. Now, why do they come 30 or 40 miles? Because some of you right now, when you hear that, you're like, Jesus is rude. Like, why will he not go out and talk to his folks, to, to, his, own, to his own kin? Well, when you think about it and you understand the context and look at some, some parallel passages, what we see is a parallel passage in the Gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 3. Just write it down. I'm going to read it to you. Uh, Mark chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. It says, Then he went uh, to a home, and the crowd gathered around him so they could not even eat. Now, was his mother coming because she's like, Jesus, you need to eat? You know, like every great mom does. 30 to 40 miles would be a long way to travel just to say that to Jesus. But she could be concerned. I don't know. But it goes on and says, And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, He is out of his mind. You see, what I gain and what I, when I put these passages together... I think that his family thought he was an embarrassment to them. That they're coming because they're like, do you know the reputation that you are giving our family? You are out of your mind. And these, you're gathering this crowd, you're doing crazy things, and word is getting back to us in Nazareth. So they are coming to seize him. They are coming to stop him. Now, Jesus could have just not even given them any kind of acknowledgement. But he does acknowledge that they are there. But he will not be interrupted. That's why I think it's important that it says while he was still speaking. They were coming to interrupt him. But he wasn't going to be deterred from the ministry that God called him to do. You see, that's why I say that biological family ties require proper attention. Because Jesus always gave proper attention to the biological family. If you think about uh, uh, fast forward to Matthew chapter 15, and Jesus is saying, do not let tradition get in the way of caring for your family. Also, remember, Jesus bends to his mother's will in John chapter 2 at the wedding at Cana. She wants him to provide some wine to do a miracle on the spot. And he says, it's not time for me yet he acquiesces and turns water into wine. Also, when Jesus is hanging from the cross, remember, he makes sure that his mother is taken care of. And he says to the beloved disciple, John, this is your mother. Mom, this is your son. Take care of her. So Jesus cared a lot about family ties, but he says that we need to give proper attention. And that word proper is intentional because it'll come into play later on. You see, the way that we can give proper attention to our family is to honor the Lord by the way you honor your family. Honor the Lord by the way that you honor your family. 
You see, throughout Scripture, God has always encouraged us to honor our biological family ties. Always. Old Testament, that was one of the Ten Commandments. That's the fifth commandment, is honor your father and mother. That's reiterated by Paul in Ephesians chapter 6. You see, cults always want to uh, uh, divide families, to cut you off from those. That is not the biblical way. The biblical way is to care for your families. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. It's on the screen. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is basically um, that fifth commandment uh, again, repeated. For this, is, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Why did he say? He said, because then it will go well for you and you may live long in the land. That's the promise. If you obey your parents. And then he goes on and added this because it's Father's Day. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, fathers and mothers, uh, let's make it as easy as possible for children to honor us. Uh, let's, just, let's just leave that there with verse 4. But one thing that I want you to notice here is that this commandment is boundless. What I mean by that is when God admonishes us to honor our father and mother, it's not based upon age. It's not based upon circumstance. It's not based upon a validity or anything, how much you believe that they deserve it or anything. It just is. Honor your father and mother. It doesn't matter what age you are. And so uh, in thinking about how do we do that, um, I, I could give you practical examples all day long, but I don't want to do that. I'd rather give you a principle uh, because I think these principles are good things to hold in our minds and our hearts as we want to honor our parents. And it's, uh, it basically, it's honor your parents as long as it doesn't lead you to sin or them to harm. Now, what I mean by that is um, oftentimes that leads you to sin Oftentimes that's if we're younger and in our age, period, you might think your parents are asking you to do unreasonable things. I understand that that may seem unreasonable to you. There's probably wisdom in whatever they're telling you, okay? Unless they are telling you to sin, you need to honor and obey your parents, okay? Now there's a line there, sin. Don't let them lead you into sin, but the parents that I know aren't asking people to sin. They're actually trying to keep you from sin. So honor your parents as long as it doesn't lead you to sin or it doesn't lead to your parents' harm. And what I mean by that is I know that some of our folks have uh, more mature parents and there's a hard line that you walk when your parents age that they may be wanting to make decisions that are not in their best interest. Not, and they might, their health might be fading, et cetera. And those are tender and sensitive issues. And I, that's why I say honor your parents' requests as long as it doesn't lead to their ultimate harm. And you might have to step in if you know that this is not going to lead uh, to their good. But honor their requests as much as you can. You see, Jesus wants us to honor those biological ties and give proper attention and proper care to those biological ties. But he's also creating another family tie. See, Jesus established a new kind of family tie that's based 
on faith. A new kind of family tie that's based on faith. You see, Jesus doesn't disavow his family because as I already told you, there are examples where he continues that relationship with them throughout scripture. And his brothers, in fact, we know from John chapter seven, didn't even believe in him, but he maintained that relationship with them. And then his brothers come to faith. But he doesn't disavow them um, but he begins to adopt new people into a new family. Look at verses 48 and 49. It says, but he replied to the man who told him, the man who told him that your brothers and, uh, and mother are outside. He replied to him and said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. This is the vindication, the validation that those who have stood with him, he is standing up for them, adopting them into his new family now. And you've got to understand how radical this was for this time. Because he is not only creating a new family of those who are his disciples, but think about how meaningful that is first. Just think about it. I want you to think about it from the, the disciples' perspective that we know about. Remember, there were some fishermen who left their family business to follow Jesus. They dropped their nets. That was basically forsaking their, their biological family. I am leaving everything behind to follow Jesus. When you left everything to gain that sort of validation from Jesus would be huge, huge. But another thing that I want you to notice here is that he... Uh, talks about how his disciples are not just brothers, but he talks about sisters. You see, back in, in Judaism, especially in early Judaism, only males could be disciples. And Jesus introduces the, the sisters into the family. He validates those women who are following him, who says, you are just as much as the family as those males who are following me. Jesus creates this new family tie based on faith. This is a huge, huge deal. And the reason why this is big is not only because he stands up for him, but because this new family is not based on birth, it's based on choice. That is, that is amazing. Because think about it, every other, every other family we know of is based on birth, <laughs> You are born into a family and you don't get a say. Sometimes that turns out very positive for you and sometimes that doesn't turn out very well for you. You don't get to choose what the expectations are that are placed on you in that family. You don't get to choose what values you're grown up with. You don't get to choose how you're treated in that family. And now Jesus is creating a new family that people can opt into that people can choose to be a part of that say, I want to be treated with unconditional love. I want to be treated with grace and forgiveness. I want to be treated with mercy. I want to be cared for. I want my identity to not change based on my performance, whether I'm good or bad. And Jesus says, then you're mine. These are my brothers and sisters, and this is my mother. Jesus creates this new kind of family, and I don't know what family you have, 
And I don't know if you've ever joined the family of faith that Jesus is the head of. But I invite you to, it's only through him would you join the family. It's based on his death, burial, and resurrection that you would place your faith in Jesus Christ today because there's a family available to you and we're all related. Now, you might not want to be related to me, but you, you are by his blood. You see, the new family of faith is not based on birth. It's based on rebirth, choosing to follow him. And when Jesus stretches out his hand, he says, it's these. These are the ones that are related to me. You see, we should give proper attention to our biological family, but we give primary attention to the family of faith. There's a, there's a new family. And I talked a little bit about this in, in Matthew chapter 10 when I talked about the fears of standing up for Jesus. And we have that fear of alienation from our biological family. And some of you experience that, and that's real. But this is a family of faith that accepts you that understands what you base your life on, what your mission and your purpose is, and how you have a new identity. I, I get it. I, I understand that. So what we do when we get primary attention is we honor the Lord by the way you honor your spiritual family. Honor the Lord by the way you honor your spiritual family. You see, if, and you, you all know this, and maybe you experienced this more when you were younger, but you may have seen families interact before and you go, that's a great family. Maybe you even wished you were a part of that family as you watched them relate to one another. But there's no way you can be a part of that family. Christ Chapel, I want us to be a family that is so attractive to outsiders that they say, I wanna be a part of that. And guess what? We get to say, you can be. You can be a part of this family. Are we a family, a spiritual family that people would choose? Well, the way that they would choose that is, is if it's attractive, by how we treat one another. Uh, Galatians chapter, 10, six, uh, chapter 6, verse 10. I love this verse because I think it balances the proper attention with the primary attention. It says, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Good to everyone, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. Do we extend grace to one another? It's one of, one of our values here is extending grace to each other. Are we unconditionally loving? Do we speak positively about one another? We don't gossip about one another. We have great relationships so that people see us interact and they're like, that's a family I wanna be a part of. Let's honor the Lord because he is our heavenly father by the way we treat one another because I know every parent, father, mother, doesn't matter. They love to see their children get along and it's no different with God, our heavenly father. And then finally, Jesus based his closest family ties with those who shared his heavenly father. Jesus based his closest family ties with those who shared his heavenly father and specifically, obey his father's words. You see, we all know of families who have people in their family that share the same last name, but they don't share the same values. They don't live the same lifestyle. They, they don't march to the same beat of the same drummer. They, they go off on their own path. They might share the same name, 
but you're not very close to them. They, they, they share a lot of things, but when we march to the, to the beat of the same drummer, we're closer to them. That makes sense. That's what Jesus says in verse 50, for whoever does, does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. See, he says those who march to, on the same mission, who are pointed in the same direction, those are the ones that he's closest to. And by the way, let me, let me reiterate here, Jesus is not saying by, that you are saved by works at all. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. But the way that we identify that we are his is when we follow him. That completely makes sense, and that's what he's encouraging us to do, is to march to the beat of his drum. And that's why we put that uh, sermon right before this and, and talked about uh, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, uh, which Ben did, that great invitation of come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That when we, partner, when we get in that yoke with Jesus, we go in his direction. Do you think you're close to him? Yeah. When you're in the yoke with him, you're close to him. And those you're closest with, you look more like. You go in the same direction. You march to the beat of that same drum. You're closest to him. That's the family tie. It's not just taking on the new name. If absolutely it is. But it's also going in that same direction. And the way that we do that is we honor the Lord by the way that we obey our heavenly father. Honor the Lord by the way that we obey our heavenly father. Dads, um, I'm not to your section yet, but I do want to talk to you real fast. I have learned that one of the most powerful phrases that you can say to your child is, I'm proud of you. Please say that to your kids. Um, you will watch their face light up. And I know that you would want to hear that as well. I, I get that. And we would all want to hear that from our heavenly father, right? We all want to hear, I'm proud of you. Just like, just like Paul there, on that day that we could say we ran the race, we fought the good fight, and he goes, I'm proud of you. Well done, good and faithful son, good and faithful daughter. We, we all want to hear that from our father, our heavenly father. And the way that we do that is when we follow him that we would hear that on that day. John chapter 14, verse 15 and 16, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. See, dads, I know, and, and my sisters as well, it's impossible for you to follow all of his commands. You need a helper. <laughs> That's why you have to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit and guess what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you? Conform you to the image of his son. That's his purpose, <laughs> is to conform you to the image of Christ, that we would obey his commands because there is one thing that Jesus was very clear about. He came to do the will of the Father and that alone. Nobody else's will, not his own will, not the disciples' will. He came to do the will of the Father and we see that repeatedly and he will constantly tell us the same thing, to walk in the way of the will of the Father. So let me talk to the fathers real fast. I want to talk about the father's will for fathers. First, I want to say, uh, dads, 
you are an encouragement to me just that you are a part of worship on Father's Day. Because everything culturally tells you that you get a pass today. That you get to do whatever you want. And nobody would argue with you. Nobody would, would get angry or upset with you if you said, I'm going to go do X. We'd go, it's Father's Day. Go do it. And dads, you're an encouragement to me because you're setting an example. That you're putting Christ first for you and your family. And you're winning. So that's why we've given you bacon today, okay? All right? You're winning. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I mean it. I have, I have dads and, and um, many, many dads that have come to me, and just as we've talked about ministry, they say, Cody, what, what, what can I do to, to help you? And, and honest, I, su- I tell them this with sincerity, and I tell you this with sincerity. Please keep being the dads and the husbands that God has called you to be. That's what you can do for me is continuing to be that example in our, in our families, in our church, in our culture that we need. We desperately need those examples because that is how this family of faith operates. What an encouragement to know that people can opt into this family. For our single moms, they need a dad-like example in our families of faith, and that's what we can provide. For those guys that haven't had uh, the ability to, to have a family and to have kids, they get to be spiritual fathers as they help pour into the next generation. How encouraging that is that we get to do that here. Dads, you are, I'm, I'm just super encouraged by you. And let me give you uh, some quick things because these are quick things to me, but I think they will apply to you as well. Because when I think about fatherhood, I know that it's a great privilege, but as we know scripturally, with great privilege comes great responsibility. And so let me just tell you some of the things that I was challenged with as I think about Father's Day, and it's to do these three things. First, love your God, obviously. Love your God, obviously. Let me talk about that positively first. Positively, do you have specific, noticeable habits built into your life to show your family that Christ is first in your life? Um, Being at worship is one of them. And so that's why I said, you're winning. Thank you. Praise God. What are those other habits that you have? Do, do you, do your, have your kids ever heard you pray before? Have your kids ever seen you read the word? Those kind of positive things. But I also mean this negatively. M- meaning, do you confess your sins when you sin to your kids? I've had to do that before. And I've had to go to my kids and I've had to say, please forgive me, I was angry. Um, I, we, we've got to do that. I, hey, my kids know I'm not perfect, and they need to know that there's a heavenly father who's perfect that we're both following. Um, do you show that obviously, positively, in the positive times and in the challenging times? Second, love your wife openly. Love your wife openly. I've said this multiple times, but the best gift a parent can give their children is a mommy and daddy who love one another. We want to give them everything, and we forget about that. And we want to give them a college scholarship, and we want to give them great clothes, and we want to give them a car, and we want to give them all what they need is a mommy and daddy who love one another. Love 
your, your wife openly, dads. Let them see you hold your, your wife's hand. Let them see you kiss them. Not for too long, that's weird. But <laughs> let them see you show affection for your wife, okay? And again, it doesn't matter what age you are. I am encouraged when I see my parents hold hands. So, and I'm an old man. I've been an old man for decades now. Um, but it doesn't matter what the age. So love your wife openly. And then finally, dads, love your children organically. Love your children organically. And I'll explain that one quickly. Um, one of the best lessons that I've learned from Ted, I remember Ted saying this and it stuck with me for so long. He said, quality time comes from quantity time. That we can't force or rush quality time. We've gotta give a chunk of quantity time if we're gonna get some quality time out of it. And I've, I've tried as best I can to apply that with, with my boys, and it's hard. Because so often, I, I'm a doer, I want to do things. I do for my kids all the time. And when they ask me to be with them, I go, don't, you know, internally. I don't do this externally, I hope, or I confess. But I'm like, don't you know what I've been doing for you? I've been doing this, and I've been doing this, and I've done this, and I've done this. And they say, I don't want you, what I imagine them saying is, I don't want you to do for me. I want you to be with me. And just being with, what are they interested in? I'm Sorry, dads, if you have girls, you got to play Barbies, okay? Those organic times that, God, what will you spark? What will you do? I mean, that's going to pay eternal dividends because there's a beauty, guys, when the biological family and the eternal family overlap, that that those are the ties that bind but let's pour into those ties that transcend, those family ties, the family of faith, as we encourage our biological families to join us as the family of faith as well. So let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that, Lord, you create a new family that we get to choose and opt into and that you would adopt us as sons and daughters and call us your own. We get all your rights, all your privileges, all of those wonderful things, we thank you for it. And so, Lord God, would you continue to add to that family? And Lord God, would you encourage dads today as they lead their families, as they lead them as Christ leads and loves the church, Lord, would you be that example and give them the Holy Spirit to, be, uh, to speak to them loud and clear and conform them into the image of Christ. Thank you for the example and encouragement that they are to me and to so many others. Would they feel encouraged and honored today? And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.